Amen. Thank you, uh, Pastor David, and uh, thank you for joining us and um, Daylight Savings Time Proofing Your Weekend. Glad that you could join us. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul is going to call us not just to higher living, uh, living in Christ, but he's going to actually call us to higher giving tonight. And we're all about transformed lives, leaving godly legacies. When we look at what happens when men and women, uh, boys and girls, trust Jesus Christ with their lives, we see the vision of what God is doing. And our God is a transforming God. He transforms our hearts. He changes us from the inside out. And as we, as that change moves to the outside, it changes who we are, it changes what we do. It even changes how we give. And therefore, he calls us into this concept of transforming the material into the eternal. And so he's going to show us reality. And you know, every time I talk about this, I, I know it because I can kind of sense it. And we're not afraid to talk about it here. So I'm just going to be open. We're scared. We're scared of what could happen if God got a hold of my wallet. I mean, really, if God got a hold and made me more generous and made and I gave up some things to advance the kingdom of God in this world, we're afraid of that. I talk to Christians all all the week long who are afraid to trust Jesus with their lives and who are afraid to trust Jesus with their things. And and the greatest threat to giving is not selfishness. It's not skepticism. It's fear. And fear is the broken reality of our lives. It's, it's what we will have until I think Jesus totally transforms us. We all deal with and we all struggle with fear. And the history of humanity has a profound, has profound stories about fear. I remember when I uh, went on a missions trip in the country of Spain and at the Strait of Gibraltar, you can look across the, the uh, Mediterranean Sea and you can see the coast of Africa. It's about 30 miles away and you can see the lights at night and there's that little strait and ships all going from the Mideast and the, even the Far East. They come through that little strait and they used to believe, all, all the captains of these ships used to believe that if they continued sailing westward into the Atlantic Ocean, that all the water of the world falls off into nothingness. And so that kept the explorers from, from sailing westward in the ocean. And, and guess what was westward? We're westward. The United States, America, was westward. And so it kept, fear kept them from sailing and from going to the place that had so much promise and had so many different resources that was right there for them, but fear kept them from it. And there's the fear of the dentist. And there's the fear of the doctor in surgery. There's the fear of what would happen if my kid doesn't make the grade and doesn't get the scholarship and doesn't make the team and has the wrong attitude and isn't going to make good decisions with their lives. We fear about everything. And the issue is we cannot totally eradicate fear. And God knows this. He knows this in our hearts. Now, Jesus, his number one command in his life with us was do not fear. Do not fear. But he realized if you're going to fear anyone, fear God. Fear God. 
the God who created it all, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. It's, it's basically, to deal with fear, you have to learn how to leverage fear. And you have to be able to fear the more important things rather than the less important things. So when it comes to giving, what it comes down to is, do you fear having less of material things or do you fear having less of God? Do you fear the loss of money or do you feel fear the loss of a deeper relationship with Jesus? Because that's going to be the decision. That's going to be the decision. You see, it's not just that I fear sinning and what can happen to me when I sin. I fear, I fear distance from God. I fear what my life would be like without God at the center and the source of everything I do. And see, those allow us to make decisions. We just fear the most important person for the single most important relationship in our lives. And giving of our time and our energy and our reason, it all flows on what do you fear the most? And you know, I, I fear my finances without God because I've lived at times without God at the center of my finances. I've lived with me at the center of my finances and I don't want to ever go back to that again. And the one antidote that's helped me do that is generosity. It, it's almost like it's a, it's a contradiction in terms that you actually have a better value of life and of people the more you give. But I've learned that truth in my own life. And Paul is going to teach us how to do that. He was calling the church in Corinth to give generously to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And we join him now in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. And we'll go through verse 15. So read it along with me. It says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now what I want to call out are just real quick things. I want to revisit where we've been and then just build upon it. Because Paul is saying, look at what we get when we give. And and many, if we don't approach giving with the right attitude, we're going to look at what we lose when we give. And so Paul's just going to remind us, look at this. Look at what you get. And he's going to list, let's see, six things that we get more of 
The key pick, key word that I want you to remember is you get more. You get more when you give. What do you get more of? Number one, you get more love from God. Look what it says. God loves a cheerful giver. Verse seven says, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I love my three boys. And if they would do something and make poor decisions, I would still love them. So they can't do something that's going to make me love them less. I just love loving them when they make good decisions. I love it when they make a decision to do something on their own that's selfless and sacrificial in our family. I go, man, I love that about you. When they come in and they encourage my wife, like this morning, my wife got a a haircut and, and my middle son, Jack, who's, man, he's the encourager. He walked in and goes, mom, your hair looks fantastic. You really look great. And, and my wife just kind of bowed up and I said, Jack, man, I love it when you encourage your mom. You're going to make a great husband someday. You know, see, we just love it when our kids do that. And God loves it when we give cheerfully. Look what we get more of. We not only get more love from God, we get more generosity from God. Look at what it says in verses 8 through 10. And God will, look what it says. God will, he's able To make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you will abound in all good work. What's the key word there? All. Good job. Good good observance tonight. Yes, all. Look at all that. It's kind of like in the Greek, that word pan, of which we get like panorama. You get to see the whole picture of it, the whole landscape of it. God is an all Insuming God. He's, it, when you give, it affects everything. It affects everything. God, you get more generosity from God at all sufficiency in all things at all times. Five times that word is all is mentioned here in the passage. Yeah, everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. God affects everything. You also get more thankfulness to God. Look at verses 11 through 12. It says, people will thank God because of you. And you will thank God for the opportunity to give. It's not just people saying, thank you. It's you going, wow, thank you for the opportunity. A giver knows that. And a giver gets to experience that. Thank you. They don't look at what they've lost. They look at what they found. There's also glory. It says in verse 13, they will glorify God because of you. Yes, they will go, they won't go look at what Joe or what Janice did, but look at what God provided for us. That's what happens. When I've given, when I've represented this church and given to different ministries, when you've given generously, what do they do? They thank God for you. They glorify the provision of a need that they had, and it was all the work of God. You also get more relationships. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, it says, you will not have your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others. While they long for you and they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. I found this. When I give to a ministry where... when. Cheryl and I have been uh, supporting one of her best friends who's a missionary in Indonesia right now. 
And we've given since we've been married. So we've been giving over 20 years for them. You know, we get, I've been praying for you. I thank God for you. Our relationship with them hasn't been a, I'll pray for you as long as you give to me. Our relationship has grown deeper. I'm able to see far more people and be a part of far more people's lives. I know what's going on in people's lives when I give to them. And so do you. And then that last verse, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When we give, we reflect the likeness of Jesus. Because that indescribable gift is Jesus. Now, I can never pay God back for Jesus, and neither could you. We would insult him if we thought by giving in the offering, we'd actually get more of Jesus or his work on the cross. That was all a free gift to us. But we reflect the giver of all things when we give and the greatest gift ever given and the greatest gift ever received when we give. So look at, look at all what we get. Look at what more we get when we give up, when we give. And so how can we get, ignore this when the payback of generosity is so rich? How dare us wimp away from addressing, uh, addressing it in our lives because we would rather have things that money could buy rather than the priceless treasure of Jesus and his kingdom. So Paul is going to teach us the point. And look at the point. It begins in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That passage gives us a lot of direction. Number one, we will never, we will never use shame and guilt to shame you into giving. No, we want you to be cheerful about it. But it doesn't mean that we don't want you to think about it and make a commitment to it. That's why Paul says each one must give as he's decided in his heart. There's a decision point in giving. And Paul calls us to it. I want to just, as I introduce this part of how to give, let me just share with you some people that I met while I was in India. Here's a church, and the church is named the Living Hope Church. It was built for $6,000 by a a generous church in the United States that built it around a leper colony just outside of Chennai, India. Remember, I told you last week I visited that leper colony and that pastor right there is Pastor Augustine Asir, whom we support. And one of the pastors that we support is named Pastor Vanaraj. Not a great name that I would understand, but it's, it's a very popular name in India, Pastor Vanaraj. And Pastor Vanaraj, I was able to visit uh, some of his congregation and walk around this community. This next slide is a picture of him. He's right at that doorway. He is not a tall man, and the doorway is even shorter. Look at that house. Um, but, but we visited in that house, and he walked around in his bare feet. And it's amazing. They have feet of leather. My mind would be, you know, freaking out. But I, I wore my shoes during that time. He and his wife, Hema... And his two girls, Hudsana and Eskina, work in this community. It's a church of around 80 people. And 45 of them are children. Pastor Vanaraj, uh, if I, got, I got to meet them. And they gave me that necklace and uh, treated me like royalty. And I was able to preach at this church. And right before I preached at this church, all the lights went out. 
And so Pastor Vanaraj, you saw him dart out the side a little bit. No one freaked. It just happens every day to them. They lose electricity. So he goes and gets this little LED light and he puts it up in the corner. And as it went in the darkness, I just thought, okay, sermon switch. And I went to Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. And I talked about how we are the light of the world. And, and we shouldn't be hidden from that. We are, we are the light of Jesus as he shines through us and all the world sees. And I made the great point. It was an epic moment in, in the history of preaching for Joe Hishma because I said, and if we all shine the light of Jesus and Pastor Augustine started interpreting it. And as soon as he said, Jesus, all the lights went on. <laughs> I said, I planned that. Um, but then they gave their offering and they passed the offering. I just watched cause I was up in front. They honor the person who speaks up at front and, and that offering plate went by everyone. Every one of these boys reached into their pockets and took something and gave it in that offering. And I started talking to Pastor Vernaraj after. And do you know they support, they fully support another pastor from that church. These people, I visited their homes. They have nothing. They have nothing. Pastor Vernaraj lives in a four-room home with a concrete floor. His wife cooks out back under an open flame uh, on the ground. She cooks like this, okay, for all her meals. And their little girls are joyful and they're happy. And it was a privilege to see generosity. See, it does not matter how much you make. It's what you're doing with what you've been given. And Paul's just going to bring us this whole point. It's, it's the measure of a life is not how much you gather. It's how much you scatter. How are you planting what God has entrusted to you? And he's going to show us, just like a farmer, daily sowing results in a lifetime of reaping. Now, in 1940, one Kansas farmer fed 19 people. And today, 2013, one Kansas farmer feeds 155 people. See, seeds that are invested and seeds that are cultivated bear rewards. They bear results. They have a harvest. And giving works the same way. Now, seeds move through our bodies every day. And because we don't live on a farm, we tend to eat every seed we, we see. We have a decision with what God has entrusted to us. The seed of resources that he's given to us, you can either eat it or you can plant it. And if you eat it all, you can't give anything. But if you eat some and plant some, you can feed not only yourself, but you can feed others. And you can also prepare for the future. See, givers get that cycle. That everything I have has been given from God to me. And I'm a steward. I'm not an owner. And I'm called to give that away. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Let me just ask real quickly, and I want you to be honest with me. How many of you would like to be more generous? I'm asking you to keep your hand up. Yeah, there, there we go. Okay, so majority of you are here and ready to be generous. We're going to learn how to be generous. Three steps to be, being generous. And here's the first one. Number one, we've got to give as a priority. 
We've got to be willing to give God my first and my best, not my last and my leftovers. Giving as a priority will make the commitment. When Paul says each one of us must decide in our heart what to give, we need to decide that Jesus is the most important person in my life. He's the most single most important relationship. And giving to him gives my first and my best. Your first and your best communicates how much you love or don't love. How much you care for or don't care for something. Your first and your best, not my last and my leftovers. And you know, giving is a thoughtful and meaningful decision. We see value in it. And we make decisions to give our first and our our best. When I give my first and my best, my love grows. When I give my first and my best, everything else follows that authority. So my greatest authority is always going to get my first and my best. But when I give my last and my leftovers, just try that sometime in a relationship. Next time someone calls you and says, hey, let's go out. You go, well, hang on once. I'm waiting for a call from John and from Steve. And if they don't call me, then I'm going to wait for a call for Brad. And if Brad doesn't call me, then I'll go out with you guys. See how that works in relationships. It doesn't work. Your last and your leftovers ruin relationships. They hurt your marriage when your wife no longer feels special or valued, when your husband doesn't feel respected. You see, they ruin all of our relationships, whatever gets our last and our leftovers. And so when we give, we tend to give God our last and our leftovers. It's after all my bills are paid, after everything is taken care of, after everything else is, if I have some leftover, then I'll give him that. And throughout the scriptures, we're called to give God our first fruits, the first of the harvest, the first of what he's given us. So here's what I do. I started here 11 years ago, and my first check came on February 20th, 2002. Guess when I write a check? I don't write a check. I go online, and I, I've, I've signed up online that every month on the 20th, God gets 10% of everything I'm paid here. He does it. And so it automatically comes out. And over these past 11 years, we have never failed one month to give to the Lord. Because he gets my first and my best, not my last and leftovers. That money that we would give to the Lord here, if he wasn't our first and best, it would be spent. It would be spent. And knowing my tendencies, I'm just, hi, I'm Joe and I'm a consumer. It would be on gadgets. Okay? I love gadgets and I love vacations and I love spending money. My wife, on the other hand, is a saver. And I need discipline. I need to decide that God's going to get the first and the best of me, of everything he's entrusted to me. So I've made that commitment. I'm going to give as a priority. Secondly, I'm going to give as a percentage. You know, this is the concept of the tithe. And Genesis throughout the Old Testament, throughout Genesis throughout the whole Old Testament, uh, even encouraged by Jesus in the New Testament, tithing is a simple percentage of 10%. We intuitively, as children, learn the the factors of 10. We can go, what's 10 plus 10? Quick, 
four years old, 20. A five-year-old can go 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. We learn in tens. So God knows our simple minds. And he just says, give me 10% of everything I've given to you. Let me just do an experiment. What's 10% of $20,000? Hello, just yell it out. We're smart here, right? What? Someone said 200. No, no, that's 1%. 10% of 20,000 is... 2,000. Good. What's, here's, what's 10% of $45,000? What would that be? 4,500. Wow. No one took out their iPads and started going, what's 10% of 45? We know it up here, don't we? What's 10% of 68,000? 6,800. What's 10% of 83,000? 8,300. What's 10% of 120,000? 12,000. Good. What's 3% of 87,000? You don't know that one. I mean, we may have a protege among us who can go, oh, that would be exactly this. But no one shouted it out. Why? Because 3% is not intuitive. It's not. Yet most... Christians who believe in Jesus and that the Bible is the authority of the word of God give 3% in America right now. We don't give intuitively. We don't give the way Jesus. And I know people go, oh, 10% was Old Testament. Oh, and I love that. I love that because I've actually researched in Greek the New Testament. And I found that 10% isn't mentioned in the New Testament church. You know what? It's a whole lot more than 10%. So if we want to go on there and you're not giving right now and you say, oh, it's all under grace, battle me because God wins on this. He shows us his heart for us is a simple 10%. I want to prove this. Can you come up here? You're right there. Yeah, you're not looking behind you. Come on up here. Yeah. Come on up. Okay, we've got... Chad, I'm going to just demonstrate this to you. This is what happens when God gives us. Now, God gives us, if he gives us $10, and I've got single dollars just to show us, Chad, okay? Here's 10. You can verify that that's 10, okay? God says, Chad, just because of my grace and uh, just because I give, here, take, take 10. Now, the only thing, Chad, that I'd like, because I'm the God who is working and active, and, and I want to include you in giving, is I don't want you just to receive. I don't want you to be a dead end. So if you would just give me one back. Okay. See, Chad just tithed. Chad just tithe. Tithe. And God owns it all. Stay up here. Stay up here. Stay up here. <laughs> God owns it all, Right? Right? And, and whose money does Chad have? God's. But God just gave it to him. And God only asked back for one. Okay? Now, Chad, you can keep that. That's yours. That's yours. No. I know you want to give it back, but keep it. It's my gift to you. It didn't cost the church. That was me. I'm very generous, Chad. Okay? Just remember that. Okay? So, you see what's happening here? See what's happening here? If God's the owner and he's making an investment in Chad, who made out? Chad made out, okay? It's ridiculous to think that God makes out when we give back to him, that we could pay him back. 
God says, I just want this back to get you into generosity, to get you into the, the, the stream of giving. This is training wheels, folks. It's not the end. And we, I mean, I talk to Christians all week that are biting nails and kicking and screaming. And God says that I love a cheerful giver when you do that. Don't make it about a bad deal to you. See, if you think it all belongs to you, you'll never give. Never give. But when you see it belonging all to God, I mean, some of you are money managers. Wouldn't it be cool if someone said, hey, here's a million bucks. I only want, just for your fee, is is 90%. You keep 90% of it. Do what you want. I just want you, you know, give me back, at the end of this year, give me back $100,000 after a million's been invested. We would, we would never forget an experience like that in our lives. And yet it happens every time God gives us a paycheck. This is what God calls us back. Give us a percentage. Start at a percentage. Now, I realize, folks, that, that uh, we're not living like this as a church. Because if we were, our, our giving would be three times what it is right now. Just being honest. Our giving would be three times if everyone tithed here. Because in our database, I don't know what anyone gives here. Okay, except myself and my wife. But I know, I know um, every third, uh, every zip code of people in our church. And our government keeps records on how much the average household income of every, the last three digits of your zip code is. And we multiplied how many people live in those zip codes and how many people go to these ch- this church based on your household giving, I- income. And the reality is, is our giving here would be over $7 million a year if we just tithed. If we just tithed. We could give, if everyone just tithed right now, immediately we could give at least $3 million outside of this church a year. A year. If we just tithed. So it's not an issue of does God need to show up and have an economic recovery for all of us to give. Do we all have to win the lotto before we understand this concept of tithing? No, you gave me the numbers. Just put your income there. And and then if you want to ask me net or gross, let me just say, what do you when when someone says how much do you make and they want to give you a raise, what number do they do you give them? Do you give them net or do you give them gross? See, you want the blessing of gross, right? That's how we ought to give. We want the blessing of giving out of gross, not limiting God to after taxes and charging him for mileage driven to church and all that kind of stuff before we have this little amount that we go, that's my tithe. Now, see, what I've learned is I'm, I'm trying to structure in my life how to live simpler so that I can be more generous. And that leads to that third step, and that's give progressively. You know, we want to excel. Paul says, remember back in, in chapter 8, excel in this act of grace also. We want to be excellent in giving. And excellent in giving means that we're growing in it. We're not just hung up on a number. We're not just doing and, and having it be rote and having it be just something we do like a ritual. You see, uh, we want to, giving can get stale. 
And giving progressively keeps things fresh. It's a commitment to say, I will grow in giving. And that's what my wife and I have done over the course of our marriage. We have made commitments at certain times. It hasn't been every year, but they, at certain times we've said, we're going to give, right now we're giving 12% outside of ourselves to the Lord. Now we want to do 13. I remember when we built this church for three years, we gave 22% of our gross income so that we can make room for more people. That was a time where it required sacrifice, where we really had to say no to a bunch of things that were part of our normal in our lives. And you know what? I never missed it. I never missed one penny. I never missed one vacation because of it or an experience. I grew in my love for the Lord. Me, our family had a great adventure of not having our, our talons clawing on things. And, and we got to be a part of the movement of God in him reaching more people in this city as a result of giving progressively. And it's a commitment. I will grow in giving. We want to be more generous. Everyone in this room wanted to be more generous. And we can't be generous without giving. We can't. If you raised your hand, the only way that's going to come into reality is if, if we give. If we give. So give as a priority. Give as a percentage. And give progressively. You can do it your own way. And, and you can ignore all this. But, but throughout time, in the history of the people of God, God knows our hearts. And he knows what works. He knows what doesn't require a piece of paper before we can make a decision to do. And it's really a relationship with him. And it's a willingness to be obedient to him and to free up our hands and our hearts and our minds and to step away from the fear of what we don't have into the blessing of what we do have when we're generous. It's God's simple effective, powerful, and freeing plan for each of our lives. Give us a priority. He receives your first and your best. Give us a percentage. I will give back one. One of what God has entrusted to me. 10%. And three, I will grow in my giving. And watch. You will really get more. More of the reality of who God is and what he's doing in this world. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, thank you for just the simplicity of uh, showing us the rewards of giving and then just showing us how to give generously. And now I pray for each decision that will be made as a result of knowing this truth. You've asked us in your word in this passage that each of us must decide in our hearts what we should give. I pray that it would not be a reluctant gift, that it wouldn't be a hesitant or we would be clawing to the things of this world, but we would be freed up to give cheerfully and joyfully. For it's in the name of Jesus, whom ultimately everything in the material will rust, be eaten, or be burned in comparison to the eternity of knowing Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.